Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Danny Meringue. And then I went to this movie theater. This is that I made a noise like this. Dusty Hera. Then this was horrible. All the people started getting sick and throwing up all over each other. I'm beginning to like this kid, much. <laughs> this is Danny and Dusty on the Odyssey app and Portland's sports leader, 1080. The Fan. Hour number two, Danny and Dusty with you. Uh, we spent the bulk of hour number one talking about the Ducks' impressive 45-30 win over the UCLA Bruins, a top-10 matchup. They don't happen very often in the Pac-12. What, it's the 18th uh, top-10 matchup within Pac-12 play since the year 2000. It does not happen very often, that or 14th uh, since 2000. The, those matchups of top 10 teams, they don't happen, especially this late in the season. And that was an impressive win by the Oregon Ducks. And uh, if you missed any of that conversation, go check it out on the Les Schwab Tires podcast at 1080thefan.com. We'll talk about it more um, coming up in, in the show. But the Oregon State Beavers had an impressive win in their own right, Danny. 42-9. Is that good? That's a beatdown, my man. And th- this is a team that the last two weeks – they have gotten back on the right track. You have two losses after you started 3-0, and wins over Boise State and Fresno State. Um, that were, I mean, at the time we thought those were both great wins. They've lost a little bit of their luster, but uh, you were 3-0, and and then you had the tough setback against USC at home, and then the doors blown off you by Utah. There was some soul-searching when they went on the road to Stanford, and it ended up being Treshawn Harrison with one of the most incredible, miraculous mm-hmm. catches that you will ever see, and then the run to follow into the end zone uh, to pull out a win. They got back on the right track. You, you take it to Washington State, and then you have a Colorado team come in that is not very good, but they're coming off their first win of the year, and they handled business 42-9. to That was a statement in their in the Oregon State's own right that we are a good team. We are an upper half team of the Pac. We may not be the Pac. We may not be USC or Utah, but they're going to have something to say about this bowl positioning across the conference. They really are, and that's the thing is that if you've got the Beavers on your schedule, you're you're going to be in for a fight. As much as Utah beat them up in Utah, I still thought that that game was less about Oregon State and more about Utah just kind of hitting all the right buttons. <sighs> and I, I think I said the same thing about Oregon, UCLA. I think that was less about UCLA and more about Oregon just hitting all the right buttons. They played a perfect game. Mm-hmm. And with Oregon State, I, I think you're looking at their identity. The, the fact that they've had some quarterback issues may have forced them to get back or, or generate that identity. The one thing that I've been calling for all season is give me, give me 18 carries to a running back. Pick one. I don't care. I don't care which one. Pick, pick one. Workhorse me. Workhorse I love me. Damian Martinez. And they did. They gave him 22 carries for a buck 78, three tutties. I mean, 
they scored 42 on basically student body right, student body left. Well, we've seen it over the last couple of weeks. He's kind of become that guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Washington State, he got a uh, bulk of the carries. He went over 100 yards in back-to-back games. I, I can't remember how many carries he had. I think he had like 15 or 16 carries for like 100 and uh, 10 yards against mm-hmm. Washington State and then he comes back the very next week and you're like okay they got some with this freshman and I love it this may be the next in a long line of guys that Oregon State has gone down into Texas and said "Ooh, wait a minute <laughs> I think we like something here and he becomes a star for him and he looked the part, man. He is a freshman and I know it's Colorado and Colorado isn't very good it's still a but true he, freshman. the note of Jonathan Smith to kind of give him a nod and say, you're going to be our guy in a backfield that is good. I think that says a lot about Deshaun, or excuse me, not Deshaun Fenwick, uh, Damian Martinez of what they feel the ceiling is going to be for him. Because 22 for 178 and three touchdowns, man, I love the way this kid runs. And this is not just like this week or the past couple of weeks. He's got that style, but I'll give Jonathan Smith a ton of credit that whether it's Jam Griffin who's gone off, Deshaun Fenwick has gone off, and now we have Damian Martinez over the last couple of weeks, they whatever the hot hand is, they're going to go to it, and they're going to stick with it, and they're going to stick with that style and that guy who's having the hot night, and now we're seeing it's Damian Martinez's time, and I don't know if he's going to give the reins back over. And that's what I want to see. And it is, Listen, having Jam Griffin, having Coletto, having all these options to kind of go with, great. Whoever is going to emerge, though, as like the guy, give me that workhorse. We talked about he's a, he's a freshman. He's a freshman, two hundred and twenty pounds, six foot running back. He's going to get bigger. He's going to get stronger. Like, feed him. And I know we we've gotten away from traditional handed off left, handed off right offenses for the most part, with the exception of Michigan, who's doing exactly this. I think that that's kind of the profile that Oregon State's trying to build. Yeah. Be the Pac-12 version of what Michigan does, which is win in the trenches, win in the running game, win on the defensive side of the ball. That's they're not on that level clearly, but I think if you if you model yourself that way, you can get away with stuff when you can't get the top flight quarterbacks. Mm. And when you do get a guy, and I think this is going to be the, the, the test for Oregon State, kind of continuing is they're going to develop running backs. They're going to develop well. They're going to grab those three-star offensive and defensive linemen who are like, ah, I think, but they're going to fit their profile, and they're going to develop the living hell out of them. They're going to develop on their secondary. The two areas where they need to hit home runs to get to that next level of where they want to get to is on the edge of the pass rush and in the back and in, in, in the backfield as a quarterback. That's it. They Again, that's a big ask. But they're developing this identity of what they can and want to be, which is we will dictate terms to you. And I know it's Colorado, and anybody can dictate terms to Colorado. That team is bad. They're super bad. bad. They got their one. Which is the sport they're trying to play. Yes. And again, they're they're the worst football team in Colorado in a state made up of horrible football teams. Mm. That's a great. Hey, that's actually a very interesting question. Of are they worse than Colorado State? I, we need that game to happen. Uh, it, it happens, doesn't it? No. Oh, I thought it no, did. They don't oh. play it this year. Oh, that's a bummer. I would. I would have yeah. loved to see who wins the Suck Bowl. And uh. they usually play it at Mile High, which <laughs> is even worse. <laughs> I mean, would they be the worst team to play in Mile High from from Colorado this year? I don't know. Uh, no. Uh, oh man. Yeah. No. That. What a horrible state of affairs no. the state of Colorado Air Force Academy football. is looking at everybody like pathetic 
what are you kidding me? That that yeah. that they, they, they're 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 literally the best team in the state right now. But I don't care. Oregon State went out there and they did what teams in their position are supposed to, or teams that are working their way up that pecking order are supposed to do, which is go in there and punk an inferior school. Mm-hmm. Yep. And look, the defense, Trent Bray has done a phenomenal job, and I don't think the mm-hmm. defense gets enough uh, credit for what they've done over the last couple of weeks because of the offense and the fact that you have a freshman going over a hundo on the ground. You have Ben Goldbrinson, who's looking like he is getting more comfortable under center, um, playing the quarterback position. And then obviously when you have the jackhammer, he takes up all the headlines. But two weeks, and uh, granted one is Colorado, but I go back to what they did last week against Washington State, and you say they held a potent Washington State team to only 10 points. And so they've given up 19 points in the last two weeks. That is a huge step forward for a defense that they, they had some serious soul searching that they were doing after giving up 42 to Utah. And then you go down to the farm and you play Stanford and you have to eke out of there by the skin of your teeth. Boy, they did it. They found a way to get the get back on the rails defensively. They're being disruptive. And in back-to-back weeks, they put the clamps down. And that's why I take a look at that Utah game, and I think that's more about Utah and less about Oregon State. This is a Oregon State defense that held USC to 14. That same US or same Utah defense couldn't stop USC. And they held a, a Washington State team that was scoring willingly on Oregon. You know, they, they hold them down. They hold a, a very bad Colorado team to no touchdowns. They force, what, three, four turnovers? Their, their record, Oregon State's defensive record, speaks more loudly than their one bad game against Utah. Yeah. And that's the thing is that... They, Colorado's they, really bad at football. They're really bad at football. There's no doubt about it. But even as bad as they are, and they are bad, like one of the five worst teams in the country bad, you still think they would stumble into a touchdown when Oregon State lets off the gas? But that's just not the case. And, again, credit to Oregon State for building a little hat tip and a uh, pop the pop the poppers, have a little bit of confetti, celebrate for one day on Sunday. The, the Beavs are bowl eligible in week eight. Hey, this is the exciting part, too, is this week – We've got, or I guess it's next week. They have a bye this week mm-hmm. as they enter the bye. But the next game for the Beavs, they hit the road, and now you've got to figure out a way. Can you take your successes onto the road defensively? They've been lights out at home on the defensive side of the football. Can you take it on the road? Because they got UW next. They go up to Seattle, and you want to talk about jockeying for position in the bull picture. These are two mm-hmm. teams that are at 6-2 and two and 3-2 and two in conference play. You can become a lot more attractive to a bowl partner with a win there and keep that momentum moving forward uh, for the Beavs. This is where nine wins starts. If you, oh, if, oh this if, is where you have to. Yep, this is where is, you this, have to get it. This is the game where you get it because you have Cal and Arizona yep. State, and you could turn this into a one hell of a season. And you still, you win, you win against Cal and Arizona State, you're at eight wins. Which is, again, I think surpasses most people's expectations coming into this year. Eight wins is where I picked this team to be, and they are set up for it. But they have a chance to make this year special if they can get Washington or, heaven forbid, the last match of the season, if they can get Oregon at home. Throw, hey, I'm going to use the old throw out the records when these two meet. Because it's, it's true. true. Yeah. Um, I don't want to do it, and I'm not going to do it. Do but it. Do it. I just have to mention the fact that that I don't. I'm not going to talk a full segment about this. Mm. 
we talked about how bad the other games in the Pac-12 were going to be this weekend. Oof, good Lord. Stanford won a football game 15-14 and kicked five field goals. Gross. They did not, they did not score a touchdown. Gross. They, that's 15 the hard way, my man. That's Stanford and Tom Brady. No touchdowns this week. <laughs> All right. Uh, hey, let's get to the NFL, shall we? Um, we have Tom Brady, you mentioned that guy. That's perfect time to talk about Tom Brady. Because which team has a better shot of turning it around of the Hall of Fame quarterbacks? Tom in Tampa? Or do we look at Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay? Danny and Dusty on the fan. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast we get it attention spans just aren't what they used to be heads in social media and eyes on netflix but what do people do with their ears well for one they're listening to audio americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day oh and you want the proof well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Danny and Dusty on the fan. What weird times we are in right now as the NFL season is wrapping up week seven this uh, evening with Monday Night Football. The Bears head to New England to take on the Patriots. What a ugly game that's going to be. But it kind of fits with everything else that's gone on in uh, the NFL weekend. Is it Thursday and nobody told us? <laughs> no, we have, we have the Bears on Thursday, don't we? What? Do we have the Bears on Thursday? No, Bears are tonight. Oh, Monday tonight. Night That's right. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm gonna yeah, we got Ravens, uh, Buccaneers That's on right. Thursday night this week. That, we, we got, we, I got my prime times mixed up there. But I mean, is it the third time the Bears have been in prime time now? Yeah, they got to get them out of the way what before the it's hell? like you, you can't have like a double digit loss team in those prime time windows. But we have seen a lot of the Bears, too much of the Bears. The the Bears should not be on TV at all outside of the Chicago market. Even then, mm-hmm. you should probably spare the Chicago market the Bears playing. But their uniforms do look good when they're not wearing the orange ones. Like, if you just have the traditional uniforms, it makes it palatable to watch, at least. 
I mean, no, no, no. Yeah. All right. There's the, the game is so ugly. No, okay. it's just God. Ugh. There's a lot of weird stats that are flying around the NFL right now uh, with the way that this season has gone. Um, there are 14 teams in the NFL this year that are currently averaging one or fewer passing touchdowns per game. Mm-hmm. Think about the pass-happy National Football League. We have 14 teams in the league that are currently averaging one or fewer passing touchdowns per game. Good Think about Lord. That. The game is scoring is way down across the board in the NFL. You have these games, the average margin of victory is shrinking and is actually, I think, a historically low. We talked about this throughout the, through the first three weeks of the season, how many three-point games that we'd had, and the league was averaging like six per week. Um, that's kind of gone away a little bit, but we have games that are playing way tighter. Like the, the whole parody of the National Football League is playing out in front of our eyes. But in, in doing so, we're seeing oh, the offense – especially the passing game for a lot of these teams is going in kind of torpedoing. And it's no more apparent than what we're seeing in two of the greatest quarterbacks ever to play the game, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers in Tampa and Green Bay, respectively, man. These teams look like a shell of them all, themselves. Okay, so to kind of tie this all together, how many quarterbacks do you think there are that have thrown double-digit touchdowns at this point? Double-digit yes. at week seven? Week seven. Uh, eight. Nine. There's nine. 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 Mahomes, Allen, Burrow, Jackson, Herbert, Rogers, Smith, yeah. Goff, Wentz. Wow. That's Car- the Carson list. Wentz. He who just got uh, put on the injured reserve and probably will never get his job back to Taylor Heineke because Heineke won against the Packers 23-21 yesterday. Insanity. Brady has eight touchdowns through seven games. And I think the thing that we can kind of call out here, and I don't, at first I wondered, is this a, between Rodgers and Brady, is this a, the NFL is letting defenses get away with a little bit more? And I was like, no, I don't think that's it, because obviously we've seen how quarterbacks have been protected and uh, DPIs are, are through the roof right now. And I started thinking, both of their offensive lines suck. Both of them have zero weapons. And it, with Brady, it's, his weapons have been injured, with the exception of Mike Evans coming back and dropping a ball that he never drops. And Rodgers started the season with no weapons. Mm-hmm. And I think that's – we've talked about this the last couple of weeks, the difference between the haves and the have-nots. The haves, they have all that. They, they, they've ha- they have it all. Yes, the have-nots have nothing. Tom Brady has no offensive line. None. There's, there's, there's no such thing as a, a, a late-developing play right now in Tampa Bay. There, there's five-step drops are kind of a dream. Sevens are non-existent. <laughs> like it, he can't get through a progression that deep with his offensive line right now. They are missing everybody. I think you can say the same thing about the L.A. Rams. And with Rodgers, he's got nobody who can get any separation whatsoever. But do you you still, even with those those problems, you still have to wonder if father time is catching up, if, if a little bit of football mortality is catching up with the two kind of remaining legends at the quarterback position in the game. See, the thing about it with Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is that Tom Brady's offenses have always been better when they run the football. Throughout the, what, the 23 years now of his NFL career, he has won a Super Bowl 
when they've been, I think it's a top seven rushing offense in the league. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are currently averaging 64 yards per game rushing, dead last in the NFL. You know who's second to last? Who? The L.A. Rams Oh, at weird. 70 yards. You know who's third to last? Hmm. The Indianapolis Colts, who just benched Matt Ryan and are only Ellen. averaging 81 yards per game. Thing like this, you have got to be able to run the ball. It's a pass happy NFL, but you have got to be able to run the ball if you're going to be an effective team. And that's why I sit there and I look at Tampa. I don't see any of that help coming. The offensive line is you've got season ending injuries for a lot of guys. You are not going to be able to remedy this, and there's no quick band aid. I mean, what what are you going to do? Are you going to trade away all of your assets to try and bolster your offensive line, your draft assets? To try to bolster your O line. When Tom and Brady's probably going to be gone. What's that? When Tom Brady's probably going to be gone. Like you, you, well, yeah. you can't get past that. You have to play kind of both timelines. But then here's the other problem that they have, which I, I don't know where, how you fix or remedy this because you were built by having a dominant defense, and the dominant defense is intact. They're just not dominant anymore. Uh, I mean, they're giving up yards left and right. I think uh, yards per game, they're in like twenty something in the in the NFL. Like you can't, you cannot do that. The healthy side of your ball better be lights out if you're going to be winning football games. If you can't run the ball, and your line's going to be absolutely decimated by injuries. You can't be giving up, you know, three hundred and forty yards a game or whatever it is and get gashed left and right. And that is the problem, especially by a Carolina Panthers team yesterday. They lose a Carolina 21-3 to yesterday. Well, a Carolina team starting their third-string quarterback that traded Christian McCaffrey, and I'll give the defense a little bit on this, that they traded Christian McCaffrey, so you're like, all right, their number one weapon, what are they going to look like as an offense? But it's not going to change that dramatically. So you go from trying to take away Christian McCaffrey, you know, in your Tuesday prep all the way to Thursday, boom, he gets traded, and you go, all right, we got Friday and Saturday to figure out, without Christian McCaffrey, what are they going to do? Well, we've seen enough Carolina Panthers football without Christian McCaffrey to see what their offense kind of looks like, right? And they went exactly how we thought they would, to Chuba Hubbard um, a ton, and then they tried to target D.J. Moore a lot. And you couldn't take those two guys away, and you get beat by a third-string quarterback without their number one player on a team that's punting on the season. Which is absolutely insane. And kind of to your point as far as the the ability to run the ball, but even more so I think the ability to stop the run has been pretty indicative with some a couple outliers you look at right now the worst teams against the run in the NFL, the Texans, dead dead last. Bears, second to last. Lions, third to last. Seahawks, fourth. Giants, mm. fifth, which I found a little bit interesting. Then Packers, Chargers, Browns, Colts, Saints, Panthers. So you have a few outliers in there uh, in the Browns, Giants, and Seahawks as far as their their win-loss total. But it's pretty indicative of, of teams that can't stop the run and the ability to run the ball which is, is, I don't want to say funny, but it is a little interesting as we talk about the high-flying offenses like the, the Bills and the Chiefs and the passing game and everything predicated upon that. No, the Bills are number one in, in the league in, in run defense. The Chiefs are number three. And you just go, oh, that's right. The ability to run the ball and or stop the run mm-hmm. still is kind of what dictates wins and losses in the NFL. And that's why I look at this, and despite the fact that Tampa is three and four, they just lost to the Carolina Panthers. 
they are tied to top the division at three and four. I do not think that they can get it back on the rails as much as I do Green Bay. Green Bay also sitting at three and four, and despite the fact that they are what in a three-game hole to the Minnesota Vikings, who are five and one and atop that NFC North, at least their defense is more is playing more competent. It's hard, very hard thing to say. Like yet, as they lose yesterday, twenty-three, twenty-one, you just feel like they have more pieces in place with the fact that their offensive line can get better. I don't know if Tampa's can. I, I honestly, I do not know if they can remedy that run game, and the Green Bay already has a better run game, so you can kind of use those as building blocks and, and move forward on them. Neither one of these teams l- look, I mean, they look like 500 teams out there, and that is a weird thing to see when you have Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers quarterbacking those two teams. Uh, and it, it doesn't feel like it's you know father time catching up, it's like just the roster around them is crumbling. When you look around the NFL right now, we're talking about scoring being down. How many teams do you think are scoring under 20 a game? Mm. Let's see here. Uh, how many teams are scoring under 20 points per game? Mm-hmm. Like five? 12. Tw- you're kidding. No, 12. There's 12 teams that are averaging under 20 points per game. Uh huh. Titans, Cowboys, Packers, Commanders, Bucks, wow. Panthers, Texans, Rams, Colts, Bears, Steelers, and Broncos. <laughs> and the Chiefs put up 30 in the second half. <laughs> that is wild. As of right now, the Chiefs are the only team scoring over 30 a game. Wow. The Bills are right behind them at 29.3. Who do but, you got? But, you think but they have not. They don't guys score. can get it back on the rails? No. I, I think the Packers, they need two weapons. I, I think you're, you're going to get back to Yari back, hopefully, at some point in time to, to return to form. Uh, obviously, he's been out for forever and a day. But Brady and the Bucks and the, uh, the uh, Stafford and the Rams are cooked. Just, their offensive lines are, are so far gone. I don't, I don't think there's a way you can come back. Well, and Aaron Rodgers just doesn't trust the ball to throw to anybody. Doesn't, no, yeah, doesn't trust anybody to throw the ball to. Trust the ball to throw to anybody. I yeah, like that. But, no, that's that's some real third eye brain, stuff, man. Brain fog. <laughs> that's, that's why Tom Brady deflated the balls because he didn't trust the ball. Yeah, to throw to anybody. Take, so I'm gonna take some air out of you. I'll teach you ball. Okay, uh, do you know the quarterbacks that Aaron Rodgers lost to this year? Oh God, how bad is this list? They've lost to Kirk Cousins, oh. Daniel Jones, Zach oh. Wilson, oh. and Taylor Heineke. Oh. But they beat... Wilson's the best quarterback on that list. They beat Justin Fields, Tom Brady, and Mac Jones. God, they have played one quarterback. No, I mean, they've played seven of them. I mean, (laughs) good Lord, what a list of quarterbacks for defense to go against. That's insane. You know what's even more insane? This just popped up. Uh, Caesars has the Bears, uh, Bears Patriots tonight, 33% of the money is coming in on the Bears. How desperate do you have to be to bet anything on the Bears right now? Well, I mean, I don't think you're desperate. You just don't trust New England to cover eight and a half. Ugh, my God. I don't I, look, I'm a Patriots fan. Patriots aren't eight and a half points better than anybody right now. I think they're eight and a half points better than the Bears. 
Okay, but they're also their quarterback. But are Bailey you willing Zappi's to bet been playing on that? Awesome. I will never. We don't bet know on if them. it'll be Zappy or Mac Jones. Listen, but Bailey Zappy sounds like the leader of a sorority, not the quarterback of an NFL team, I and mean, he's playing lights out. Delta, Delta, Delta. Can I help you? Help you? Help you? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, sign me up. No, I'm not putting money on either of those teams. There you go. All right. 503-250-1080 to time for the worst day on the web. Uh, it just keeps getting worse. And you know what? I don't feel bad for it. Here's Russ with SportsCenter. It's time for today's worst day on the web. With Danny and Dusty on Odyssey and 1080 The Fan. Oh, really? All right, it is time for the worst day on the web. And look, the quest for the Blazers to go 82 and 0 continues. Alive and kicking, baby. Drew Eubanks for sixth man of the year. Because they sent the quest for the Lakers to go 0 and 82 with a 106 104 dub over the Lakers yesterday and that is handing the Lakers and one player in particular Russell Westbrook the worst day on the web after he had a 4 of 15 shooting performance over 3 from 3 point range yesterday uh, which that bumped his season 3 point percentage to 8.3% he is I believe 1 of 14 from 3 or one of 12. He is absolutely horrendously down bad. And uh, Kirk Goldsberry of ESPN and formerly of San Antonio Spurs, their director of analytics department, the guy who makes the super cool graphics, um, has charted the Lakers as clearly the worst shooting team in the NBA by a substantial margin. Uh, but this is the worst shooting performance uh, to start three games in NBA history. The Lakers. From Russell Westbrook? For the, the Lakers as a team. Oh, my goodness. From three. They are that bad. They they are they are they are so bad. It's it's almost hard to chart. You know, when you when you throw the x and y axis up there, and you have to extend an axis because one team is just so bad that they're off the standard chart. That is the Lakers right now. Yikes! Uh, the league leader in three point percentage is the Cleveland Cavaliers at forty four percent. The Lakers are at twenty one point two percent. That is. worse than the Chicago Bulls, who rank 29th in the league in three-point shooting. It doesn't get much better when you look at their uh, field goal percentage on the season, though. They're shooting 40% on the season as a team. That is horrendous. But the guy who's getting the worst day on the web is uh, Russell Westbrook because he's playing the worst out of any of those guys on the worst shooting team in the NBA. Yeah, and that's... Russ had a two-for-one uh, that he took with 30 seconds on the clock, 18 seconds remaining on the shot clock, that has been memed and mocked. Yusuf Nurkic kind of did a uh, 24-hour fitness uh, jump-at-you-fake defense, that kind of jokingly uh, not respecting him whatsoever. LeBron James threw his hands up in uh, Chauncey Billups in the postgame and said, yeah, no, we just weren't worried about guarding Russell Westbrook, but... They circled back uh, and they asked LeBron James about the whole idea of going for two for one and what ultimately that would, uh, whether or not he agreed with it or not. And it was uh, an interesting uh, little tidbit as he kind of 
avoided uh, taking the chance of uh, throwing Russ under the bus. Not exactly sure how that was going to go. Hmm. You know, we, we have, I think Russ has the audio. He, he, he does, but he just I walked by he... me and, and, left, and, and left the office. Oh, so he doesn't have the audio. He, he has the audio, but uh, something yeah. uh, something just happened. Okay. He, he just boogied out. <laughs> he hopefully, hopefully we're still on air. All right. Well, um, yeah, he LeBron James' audio afterwards uh, is was pretty interesting because he did say, I, you guys are trying to lead me down like a road. I'm paraphrasing here. Like leading me down a road to throw Russ under the bus, and that's just not who I am or what I do. Yeah, it is. And I chuckled at that because it's like, yeah, maybe publicly, but privately you're just going to go and bash him and there's going to be a bunch of leaks surrounding the Lakers about how you actually feel about Russell Westbrook. And the next time you guys go on the road, you're probably going to post a selfie with Anthony Davis and a couple other guys about how you're going out to eat. And Russ is going to get the Kevin Love treatment. Yeah, I don't even, that's probably too nice. Isn't the isn't the what LeBron said that's equal to like when the GM comes out or the athletic director comes out and says you know what we got a ton of confidence in our coach he is our guy he is the coach of our team right now getting David Bladded yeah, oh he, absolutely <laughs> because even with Kevin Love Kevin Love was still on like he was still on the banana boat. The fit-in, fit-out stuff, like, he, it was a problem, and Kevin has talked about his mental health in that period and how it wasn't good yeah. for him and all that kind of stuff. They figured it out. There is a non-zero percent chance that Russ figures this out on the Lakers, let alone for Russ himself. There, there, he's, he's, it took Carmelo Anthony, Carmelo Anthony five years to figure out how to adapt, and that's the closest, like, comparison I can make. It's either that or Allen Iverson, who Allen Iverson refused to come off the bench for the Pistons, and that was literally the end of his career. After that, he, he went around two other spots for a couple of weeks, and that was just done. They haven't reached that point of being done, but after watching Russell Westbrook for the entire game last night, I am firmly convinced that he is cooked, completely cooked. He is not an NBA player. Like, go, go to Europe, this? go to China, I, maybe another How week. How long does this last? I think they another send him week? home in a week. It's, it's that bad. It's, it's, yeah. it's quite literally that bad. He is a, he is a non-effective player. There, there, I, don't, I don't care if you look at this box score and you see 10, 6, and 6. They're playing four on five. They really are. That watching that game yesterday, and this is uh, let's let's talk a little bit about the Blazers win over the Lakers because look, they're three now. Um, grand scheme, it's an eighty-two game schedule, but it doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot. It's always good to beat the Lakers, though. It's how the Blazers beat the Lakers. It was it was, a, it was a good to see from this team that's figuring things out on the fly. Danny and Dusty on the fan. <laughs> Danny and Dusty on the Odyssey app and 1080, The Fan. Quest for 82-0, still intact. Good little Sunday as the Blazers beat the Lakers 106-104. We were talking about Russell Westbrook. He's catching a ton of shade on, on the internet. He's having the worst day on the web by far in the sports world. But the Blazers picking up a win and improving to 3-0 and handing the Lakers their third straight loss to open the year, and they're 0-3. That is music to my ears, and uh, I'm not going to react or overreact to any single game, but now that we're three games in, we're starting to get a sense of how these guys are playing together, and 
it, the schedule's going to tighten up, and it's going to get tough. But right now, steal wins any way you can. And they they may have eked out three wins. Hey, but you'll take them, especially with the way that the two went down this weekend. Listen, this Trailblazers team, we watched it coming out of preseason. We were like, oh, my God, is this, like, do we need to adjust our expectations? Still a 500 team. They're still a 500 team. They they won coin toss games. Most games in the NBA are five-point games. And you saw the Lakers had a seven-point lead with under two minutes to go. They were up 90-98 with just over two minutes to go. So you look at every kind of situation here as it pertains to the Blazers over the last two games of the Suns and the uh, Lakers. The Suns had a five-point lead in overtime, which is usually kind of like insurmountable. Because guys are kind of gassed, and you saw some heavy legs in that game. But the Blazers are winning on the back of Damian Lillard, back-to-back 40-plus point games, Mm -hmm. but also junking it up. That's been the thing, because Anthony Simons' offense has not been there. He's had a couple bursts that have won them some quarters, which have effectively kept them in games. Obviously, he has what turns out to be the game winner against the Suns. You have Jeremy Grant getting a game winner against the Lakers. But it's really been their defense, their tempo, their ability to get in the paint and create free throws when they aren't scoring otherwise because they're one of the poorest effective shooting, effective field goal percentage teams in the league right now. And that's been their inability to knock down threes. And what's been really interesting is their shot pro- profile, Dusty. This is a team that two years ago when they were whole was shooting over 43 threes a game. They have yet to crack 30 three-point attempts in a game. Two of their first three games, 50 or more points in the paint. All three, or excuse me, two of their first three games, 20 or more fast break points. Uh, they're, they're, they're doing things that have been lip service for years, and you have to give a hat tip to Chauncey Billups, but you also have to give one to Joe Cronin for putting together a team and having a vision for how they want to play because the last two wins that they have had against Phoenix and L.A., they should have lost the game to L.A unequivocally, they look like they spent the entire day in Los Angeles the night before, had a long night, and got out, and they they should have been down 20 in the first quarter with the way they played. But the Lakers are so bad, and the Blazers have enough effective ways to get back into a game now that if they're having a poor shooting performance, they can save themselves with some defense. They can save themselves with some transition buckets. They can save themselves by, by forcing turnovers. They do not have just one way to win. And that's a credit to the Blazers because they could have easily rolled over in both those games. Well, I don't know if it is encouraging or discouraging. I'm leading more towards encouraging that they're doing it with Anthony Simons not playing very well. Mm-hmm. And it, because if we are to believe he is going to turn into the $100 million man that we saw glimpses of um, at the beginning of last year before they shut him down and when they gave him the $100 million contract – then you say, all right, this this team is going to be exponentially better once it he figures it out and things start clicking for him because you see Damian Lillard is is back to being the letter O that we thought he, he was um, prior to his injury and surgery. Jeremy Grant has been, my goodness, how awesome is it to see him sliding in, not just hitting game winners like he did last night, but also the ability to stop and get defensive stops Mm-hmm. On that that end of the floor, Anthony Simons has got to be better if this team is going to reach their potential, and he hasn't been there yet. No, what's been interesting is is that he has struggled as a shooter, but he's come up big in, in some big moments. Obviously, the game winner uh, 
10 point yep. quarter against the Suns, a 10 point quarter against the Kings. I thought he was really poor in his, in his obviously, uh, in his game against the, uh, the Lakers. Uh, he did hit a big shot down the stretch. And so you, it's not a sense for me, it's not a sense of confidence. Uh, Dame talked about how, you know, in the, in Phoenix for that game winner, he knew what the Suns were going to do. They're going to try and bring two to him with Chris Paul. Uh, and I believe it was DeAndre Ayton on the, uh, the pick and roll coverage, uh, you know, but at 40 feet and Dame stopped reset said, Ant, basically, this is yours. And Ant had to take on what is probably the best perimeter defender in the NBA, Mikhail Bridges. And he hits an unbelievable left-to-right running sky hook at 10-plus feet that is not a shot that he just throws up there. That's a shot that he works on a ton, and he, he knocks it down casually. And so you know that the confidence is there. It's just This is like any other thing when you're talking about whether it's Dame or CJ over the years. I firmly believe it's just a shooting slump that the guy who's been one of the three best shooters in the NBA for the past two years will figure this out. You have you had an incredible performance from Yusuf Nurkic against the Suns, and he's kind of he had a, a poor performance against the the Kings, and then a meh performance against the Lakers. I think if you can just kind of get a, a a level line on Yusuf Nurkic, and Anthony Simons just turns into like relatively good of what we expect, these games they kind of get blown open, and that's not what I expected. Now, tonight they take on the Denver Nuggets at home on a road home back-to-back where the Nuggets were in Portland a day early, and they're rested and ready to go. I wouldn't expect Portland to win tonight. I would expect them to take their first loss, but it's going to be an interesting take for them because this is the first team that they're really going to play that has shooters and size. They've got Michael Porter Jr. at six foot ten, obviously Jokic at seven foot, Jamal Murray, 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, like, they've got guys, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, They've got shooting and scoring up and down the floor. How the Blazers are able to handle that defensively, but more importantly, counter it offensively, which is insane to say. We're wondering how the Portland Trailblazers with Damian Lillard are going to counter a team offensively. But that's the thing with Anthony Simons, you know, is with Nurk, it's always been like, okay, this can we get that consistency with him? When you get the $100 million, the 10-point quarters are great, but those are expected. And it's that little bit of consistency. Well, it's early in the year, though. I mean, there's so much time that we got to get to that that these things sort themselves out. Seventy nine. It's a new rule for him. Hmm? Yeah, no, seventy nine more games. It's a yeah. it's a it's a long, long, long way to go. Um, again, but I, those stretches are great to see. Yeah, no, and again on the panic meter, I have zero panic about Anthony Simons. I am not going to panic until ten, twelve games, and even then uh, the, uh, the panic's like. Maybe they need to figure something out here, but it's not a. I'm not worried about it. Bright spot, they're three and zero without that consistency. Jeremy Grant has been awesome. So has Josh Hart. Josh yeah. Hart has been great too. Josh Hart has been tremendous for them. And honestly, uh, if if you want to, you know, kind of look to the future, even though Shaden Sharp's only had the one offense performance in Game One against Sacramento, Johnson has left him out there in high leverage minutes. The, yep. the bench, the bench has been the best part of the Blazers if you're looking at plus minus. And I think a big part of that is the lineup that they put out there, which is some combination of Ant, Sharp, Nas, Justice, Jeremy Grant, Drew Eubanks. You can kind of pick and choose those guys. But you're talking about the most athletic lineups that they can put on the floor. And defensively, they're not only holding up, but even though they're struggling offensively, they're growing leads. All right, let's get to uh, back to it on this Football Monday. The Biggest win that the Oregon Ducks have had in their home stadium in quite some time against the UCLA Bruins. They did it emphatically in the environment with something special. Danny Dusty on the fan. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. 
Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.